Um, the title of this sermon, this is, a, this is an odd sermon. This is not a part of a series. Uh, this is very rare for us. Uh, this is not Luke. This is not uh, any other new series we're starting, which uh, I know Pastor Denny is starting an Advent series next week in John chapter 1. This is not the beginning of that. It's not an introduction to that. This is a kind of off, obscure sermon because it's my last. And when you, when, there's a lot of passages, there's a few passages that sermons, pre, uh, pastors preach. A lot of them, it's the, the Acts passage where Paul is speaking to the elders of, in Ephesus. This is a very common sermon to, to, to give. Um, but for some reason, that's not where God led me. I am in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. And uh, let me come over here and get the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to read the whole chapter. Um, First Corinthians chapter, chapter two. Um, the sermon is a farewell address for a young church. A farewell address for a young church. First Corinthians chapter two, one through sixteen. So obviously, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray for myself uh, this morning, especially, Lord, I full of different emotions this morning. And Lord, I pray, Lord, I do not want to be a distraction. I do not want to in any way get in the way of you speaking to your people and to their hearts. And I pray that you would do so, Lord. Uh, do not fail, Lord, to speak to your people, to your children, to your church, encouraging them and challenging them, Lord, Lord, to be faithful to you. Lord, I, I pray uh, for... Uh, the people, the family here at Redeemer, Lord, I am so thankful for what you have done and you are going to do here. 
And pray, Lord, um, for those who are not with us, Lord, who are sick or away from us, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them this morning. For those who are away from us for not good reasons, Lord, I pray that you would reconcile them to this church. Lord, I pray that you would reconnect people that are discouraged or disgruntled. I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, through your spirit, that you would put repentance on their hearts. And Lord, that they would come to want to be reconciled with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And pray, Lord, that you would speak through your passage. We pray that you would speak through your word. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I am um, one who enjoys American history and enjoys uh, talking about presidents. If you know me, that's one of my things I enjoy talking about and reading about. And uh, I've mentioned this before. My father hasn't given me a lot of gifts in my life. My mom usually was one who buys all the Christmas gifts, right? My dad pays for it all, but my mom's one who goes picks it out, right? Kind of how a lot of families are. But my dad once bought me a copy of George Washington's Farewell Address, and I, I keep it with me and have read it several different times. And make mention of it quite often, and, um, you know, he gives this farewell address. He wrote this, which Alexander Hamilton and James Madison helped him write. If you've seen the show Hamilton, there's a scene in a song based off this farewell address, and so he writes this. It's published in 17, I'm sorry, September 1796, And, and he starts it with friends and fellow citizens, in a sense, he's writing to a young nation, right? He, he, is the, he is a leader who was, yes, he was a founding, very prominent, influential person in starting this country, but he is now going into retirement, and he is moving on. And he has some things he wants to say to this young nation. And, and he, he says, in a very humble way, some things uh, about his intentions, that uh, he wanted to contribute to the start and organization and the growth of the nation of the United States. He even says that unconsciously, he, he believes that he had inferior, that he had, that he was weak in experience. He was weak in qualifications a lot of the time, but yet still he was humble that he was able to start and be a prominent uh, influencer in this nation, a leader in this nation. But one of the things that Washington was concerned about was he was concerned about the unity of government. He was concerned about the unity of the nation. He said that the main pillar of their independence and tranquility and safety and prosperity and liberty was this unity, that they were one people, that they were one nation, not a nation of different people or a nation of different uh, groups, but they were one people, they were one nation. He said because there's going to be internal and external enemies that will look to weaken this conviction. And he says that the, the immense value of national unity, this was immense, this is so valuable, so important, so powerful, that they saw themselves as one people, and they were unified in that independence and liberty and truth and creed. He says, with slight shades of differences, you have the same religion, the same manner, the same habits and political principles. And he understood that they, that they had a common interest as one nation. This belief, this creed had an, an estimable value to the people. And he spoke against the enterprises of factions and parties in the states. It serves always to distract the public council and weaken the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousy and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one part against the other, and formates occasional riots and insurrection. He was very concerned about disunity in the nation. He was very concerned about political parties. He was concerned about rivalries and unnecessary alliances with foreign nations. 
He was very concerned about this. He believed that unity as one people was the, was the pillar, was so valuable, was so powerful, was so strong that they could not be broken if the nation was going to survive. And I think in this, this sermon, in this last opportunity, I desire to encourage you, the people of Redeemer, this young, inexperienced church with this passage, to continue to minister according to a common belief, a common faith in the cross of Christ. And the cross of Christ is the main pillar of our shared identity. The cross of Christ has immense value to you, who you are, and what you do. And even the context of this particular passage, what is Paul doing? He's challenging and encouraging a young church. There's division. There's threats of division in this young church in Corinth. There's quarreling among them. He hears about this quarreling, this division among them, this disunity among them, this favoritism of certain church leaders like, I follow Paul, or I follow Peter, or I follow Christ. And he says, is Christ divided? Of course not. Why is there such division? This is not Christ's church. To preach the gospel which has all the power and the message of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. Why is there such division? Why is there such favoritism that is happening in your midst? He said the same power of God which created the universe, which set the the moon, the sun, and the stars in heaven, which created the, the crown of the creation, humanity, to be his image bearers, which flooded the world, which saved the Hebrews from Egypt with plagues and split the Red Sea, the same power that saved King Hezekiah and Judah, uh, uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, from the invading Syrian empire, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that same power is at work in your hearts, those who are being saved, that, that the message of the Christ, when it is proclaimed, it is the power of God, and that should be where we are unified and we, where we focus. The wisdom of the world is powerless. The, the, the context before we even get to 1 Corinthians 2 is he talks about the wisdom of the world and how powerless it is to save. I mean, the world can give you when to buy stocks and when to sell stocks. They can help you grow wealth. They can help you get skinnier. They can help you market your product. They can help you be more fashionable. They can help you speak with more skill and more persuasion, but the world cannot save. The wisdom of the world is powerless to save. And God makes the wise foolish because the wisdom of the world is unable to save your soul. It does not lead to knowledge about God. It fails to give anyone understanding about God. It's the wrong tool for the job. It will not save. The cross of Christ is how you come to understand God. It's folly to the world. It is the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. And the cross of Christ is seen by the world, the unbelievers, the lost, as not wise. It's not powerful. It's foolish. It's low and despised. But as believers, as the church, it is the wisdom of God. It's where we have our righteousness. It's where we are sanctified. And it's where we are redeemed. It's the power of the cross. It's the cross of Christ. So here's, here's the main point here. And this is what I want to encourage you with is, and I think I've written it wrong on my notes, so I'm going to read it from here. Uh, continue with unashamed resolve to proclaim the cross of Christ alone so that, a per- so that a person's faith may rest in God's power alone. I want you to have unashamed resolve in the cross of Christ to continue to proclaim that at all odds. The min- and this is point number one, point A. The ministry of Redeemer is determined by the cross of Christ. 
is determined by the cross of Christ. And Paul starts here in verse 1, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I think it's interesting how Paul even uses this, this very um, personal term like brothers. He has a relationship with these people. He has a relationship with this church. They're, they, he is their brother. They are his brothers and sisters. He has a, they have affection for Paul. Paul has affection for this group of believers. And I want to encourage you with this. Your pastors and your deacons and your leaders, they are not professionals that you have a distant relationship with. They're your brothers and sisters. They are your friends. They are your family. You're devoted to one another. There's a kindness and a care and affection towards them to take care of them. They're not your dentist. They're not your doctor. This is not simply a job. It's a calling. There's there's no idea of, of criticizing techniques as if they are professionals that you simply just go to when you need them. They are your brothers in Christ. They are your, your family. They are your friends. As Paul says about himself here, they're my brothers. I am their brother. Sharing God's precious word with fellow followers of Christ, fellow pilgrims, fellow servants to encourage us all to follow closely after Christ. Too often in the American church world, pastors are simply experts. They are professionals. They are hired and fired just like anyone else. No, they are your brothers and people that you should have affection for and should desire to care for. He says, I did not come proclaiming to you the testament of God with excellent words. The content of our preaching, the teaching ministry, dictates the style of the ministry as well. Ministry that doesn't reflect professionalism or fine-tune. The idol of excellence in form. Too often people want to present excellency in their form, but actually Paul does, says, I didn't come with fine-tuned. I didn't come with professionalism. I didn't come with, a, 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 with skillful or excellent words. Too often people go to churches and like, I don't like that guy. He's not professional enough. He's not fine-tuned enough. His words aren't excellent enough for me. The ministry of Christ's church should not, uh, should not now nor ever be slaves to the consumeristic preferences and values of people. Rather, a higher authority determines the ministry of Christ's church. For he says, I decided and judged to know nothing among you. Paul allowed only one thing to determine the content or style or form of his ministry. That was his resolution, which he never deviated from among those people. He didn't allow their concerns, their values, their preferences, their opinions to determine what and how he talked. There was no marketing report, no consumer report that was going to tell Paul what he should say or how he should say it. He says, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the content of his message. Simple, not creative, but a constant repetitive message of the shameful, foolish cross of Jesus Christ. There are other sources of content that, unfortunately, preachers and pastors and teachers and churches make the content of their message that is not the cross of Christ. They rehash the events of the day. Or they 
moral essays to challenge you to be more ethical or psychological treatments to make people feel more happy. The issue of relevancy. Ah, you know, the cross of Christ, that's old news. It's not relevant for us anymore. We need something better. We still need something more creative. And did you think about Peter and John when they were at the, uh, in the temple in Acts? And they had the beggar, right? The, the lame one. And he asked for money at the beautiful gate. And what did they say? We have no silver and gold. We have nothing of that to give you. They have no com- we have no comedy, no business advice, no commentary on politics, no feel-good story, but what I do have, I give to you. The name of Christ Jesus of Nazareth is what he said. Pastors have no comedy to offer. They have no entertainment to offer. No business advice, no commentary on the world. What we do have is Christ Jesus and him crucified. Him crucified, which brings the dead to life, pours grace upon the lost and the darkened soul. All that I have, as they said, such as I have. While the content of the church's ministry is Christ Jesus and Him crucified, it also determines the style or form of the ministry as well. Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Probably not something that would get a pastor hired in churches today. Probably nothing that would cause people to want to listen to that sermon on their podcast or their YouTube channel. The content was not crafted to gain approval from crowds. The style or the form also was not produced and rehearsed to win the applause of the masses. Instead, he came to them in weakness, fear, and much trembling. Even Paul says about him, about what people were saying about him in his second letter to the, tor- the church in Corinth, he, they said that people said that Paul was unskilled in speaking. They said, in, uh, and he said this in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, he had a, boldly, a bodily presence that was weak. His speech was of no account, they said about him. Paul had brought nothing in the area of charisma, humor, rhetoric, pathos, emotional appeal, grand wisdom, or oratorical skills. No presidential voice. Paul lacked all of that. But those polished performances are inconsistent with the message of the cross. Christ came in weakness, not rehearsed, not flamboyant, not humoristic. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Christ was crucified in weakness. So Paul presents the message of the cross in weakness. It matches the message. It matches the content. We are weak in him, Paul says. The gospel ministry does not call for stars. It does not call for performers. It does not call for a great, it calls for a great task. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, 14-17, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to preach the gospel? Who is sufficient to preach the cross of Christ? To simply preach the foolish message according to the world of Christ, to the world of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that through that message, God's power is transforming lives. The gospel, the cross of Christ, was foolish to the world. Who is sufficient to say those things to darkened hearts? None of, none of us are. None of us are sufficient to preach or teach that message. But that's what we're called to teach. Not to doctrinate, not to decorate it, not to make it better, not to create humor, not to 
produce it and rehearse it. And no way does that message need our redecorating. Nowhere does the cross of Christ need re- 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 renovating. Nor does it need, it rest- need restoring. Nor does it need remastering. The cross of Christ is, doesn't require your creativity. It doesn't need to be made cool to be believed. Paul presented the cross of Christ, this fullest message to the world, in weakness and trembling and fear. In our teaching, the gospel ministry, the sense of our unworthiness should be dominant because we speak God's message, testimony, good news in His sight. That should humble us. So that the testimony of the cross of Christ determines not just what what we say, but how we do ministry. My words, my message were in demonstration of the spirit of power, he says. I didn't present the word in excellent words and lofty speech, but I presented the message to demonstrate in demonstration of the spirit and in power. The spirit and power of God manifests itself through the proclamation of the cross, not how it's done. God is not proclaimed because we rehearsed it or we made it look cool. It's manifested in the word of the cross, in the message of the cross itself. The church can't stop preaching Christ Jesus and Him crucified. You are made right at the cross. Sinners deserve judgment, and we are inadequate to save ourselves. And at the cross, you are made new. At the cross, you are made a child of God. At the cross, you have your inheritance. What else promises those things? Stock market growth likes on social media, praise from others, will not make you right with God. It will not make you a child of God, but the cross of Christ will. And that's why we preach it. Paul gives us the reason why he preaches nothing but Christ crucified. He says in verse 5, so that, here's the purpose, so that your faith might rest in the wisdom of, not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So that your faith may rest only in God's power. I can say with confidence that no one in this room has been redeemed and saved by the persuasive words of me. My skillful speaking, or lack thereof, is not why your life has changed. I can think of several people in this room who have been reborn by the power of God alone. God did a work in their heart, completely disconnected from anyone's persuasive words or skillful speech. God's work, God works through the message of the cross. Too many churches and leaders have, convicted them, have convinced themselves that God is at work through their ability, through their way of speaking, through their ministry organization or style. But that's a lie. We are called to preach, proclaim the cross of Christ alone. That determines our entire ministry. The entire ministry is determined by the cross of Christ. Don't lose That focus continues stubbornly to preach, teach, disciple, counsel, worship, fellowship according to the cross of Christ. Stubbornly. When people say, you know, you would get more people in this church if you did like this. Stubbornly say, no, we don't do that here. We preach Christ crucified. We are determined, our ministry is determined not by what people like or what they want to hear, but by the cross of Christ alone. Do it with seriousness. Do it with humility and in all of our Lord, so that no one can boast that their skill and ability is the reason why lives are changed. 
That the people's uh, conclusion is there's no other way to, to, that people's lives are changed but the power of God through the cross of Christ. Second point is this. The ministry of Redeemer must prioritize imparting God's wisdom to spiritual people. Starting in verse 6. He said, but among the mature, we speak wisdom. Not wisdom that is passing away, not wisdom from this age, not wisdom of the rulers of this age, but not wisdom according to worldly standards, not wisdom of the powerful and the wealthy, not the wisdom of human intelligence, not wisdom that fails to understand God, instead, the wisdom of the cross of Christ. Wiser than men, fully folly to the world, wisdom that is eternal, wisdom that is powerful to save, wisdom that's stronger than men and rulers and governments. For the wisdom displayed in the cross is wisdom of a new age, actually. It's wisdom from an age to come. In heaven, in the eternal kingdom, we will all know that that is the most spirit, more superior wisdom because it's the only one that will exist in that realm, in that age. The world doesn't, doesn't see or understand the value of the cross of Christ. They are limited to the wisdom of this age, wisdom that will bring happiness, satisfaction, for their discontent, they think is in the world, but it isn't in the world. They don't understand that true wisdom, that genuine wisdom, that wisdom that is powerful to save is in the cross of Christ. They don't see that. They don't understand that. So that's why Paul says, among the mature, we impart wisdom. Those who listen to genuine wisdom are mature. Access to true wisdom are the ones who are saved, who, believe, who are believers, who are called spiritual, or are spiritual, who are called. The immature, the unsaved, the reject God's wisdom. They, uh, they would rather be entertained or wowed or given something new or something exciting. They don't want the cross of Christ. They don't find it relevant. They don't find it significant. The gospel, the wisdom of the cross, is received by the mature. It's believed by the mature. It's heard and listened by the mature. Because we speak the wisdom of God, a mystery which has been hidden, he says in verse 7, for it is the wisdom of God that is hidden. If it's hidden, how does anyone understand it? If something is hidden, if something is not revealed, well, how could people possibly hear it and actually understand it? That is a critical question. How do people understand and believe and follow and trust God's wisdom if it is hidden from them? I think that's a pretty important critical question to ask. Paul continues here. He says, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. For, the glory. for our glory. The revealed, the ordained, God reveals and ordains and desires to, un, to reveal his mystery and his secret to the mature, to those that he is elected and chosen to believe it, to hear it. It is hidden to man to reveal his wisdom of the cross for the glory of the mature, to save them, to conform them into the image of Christ, to bring them to eternal glory when we shall be like Christ in every way. The comprehension of God's wisdom, which is able to save sinners from their guilt and shame, is completely dependent on God's sovereign choice. Completely. Even the understanding or the, even the ability to hear it and listen and believe it is by the power of God alone. Not on skillful, persuasive words of human speech. That has no bearing whatsoever in someone understanding the cross of Christ. Nothing. 
whatsoever. Making the cross of Christ cool does not reveal it to people. It's only by the power of God. God's wisdom eludes the rulers of this age, Paul says. The wisdom rejected by the Jewish authorities and the Roman, author uh, Roman authorities is the cross of Christ, where the saving power of God is displayed. They saw Christ's crucifixion as the shame and humiliation of a failed revolutionary. A lot of the world, most of the world that does not believe, this think of Jesus as this loving teacher who just happened to have a, a guy betray him and he goes taken to the cross. A failed revolutionary, a failed political leader. To the follower of Christ, the cross of Christ is the display of God's glorious redemption through his son, his masterpiece, his glorious display of love for unworthy sinners, enemies of God. Our path to glory, the symbol of our hope, is the cross of Christ. To the world, they see the cross of Christ as a mockery, as a shameful, test, a shameful story of a man who died by the Roman and Jewish authorities. If they understood, that they, that, that, then they would not have crucified him, Paul says. If they had understood the wisdom of the cross, they wouldn't have crucified him, but they were blinded by its significance. If those around us know that this, um, this, that this um, if, if, people, if everyone knew and understood the significance of the cross of Christ, there would be no people on the streets on Sunday morning. There would be no people going to football games because they recognize that the cross of Christ is the most significant thing to ever happen, is the most significant truth that has ever been brought into this world, is the most significant wisdom ever presented and ever produced. They would not go and waste their time at football games and other things. But the world's blinded to this. They don't see any significance in the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ, there is a clear reason why they failed to see the significance of God's wisdom, the wisdom of the cross, why they reject the hearing of genuine wisdom. Because they're blinded. They just have not, it hasn't been revealed to them. So here's the third point. The ministry of Redeemer imparts God's wisdom to those whom God has chosen to reveal it by His Spirit. Paul says, he uses, um, he quotes here, Isaiah 64, what no eyes seen, no ears heard, no heart of man imagined. God's wisdom, God's salvation in the cross of Christ cannot be discovered, but must be revealed by God. Human wisdom would never imagine the cross of Christ to be uh, the secret to the world unlocking the path to eternal life. They would never have imagined that. They would never imagine that Christ Jesus, this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth, and his death on the cross would unlock the secret to eternal life. But what God prepared for those who love him, the cross of Christ, is viewed by believers, the mature, as the love of God. Therefore, the focus group of the church's ministry is those people, the mature those who believe the wisdom of God, the cross of Christ. We preach to the lost, yes, but those who God has elected will come to understand the beauty of the cross of Christ. Too many churches and leaders are forming their ministries based off people who do not want to hear the gospel. That makes no sense. They do not understand it. We are called to preach the cross of Christ to those that God is revealing its wisdom and truth and significance to. Those who hear it, those who God has elected, will come to understand this beauty of the cross. 
They will be saved through the faith in the cross of Christ, not in humor, not in motivational speeches, but in the cross of Christ. The message of the cross alone is the power of God for salvation. Do not be ashamed of the cross of Christ. Those who are being saved, who are saved and mature, will be enriched by the cross of Christ alone. Those who are not being saved, who are immature, can, li- can l- care little for the cross of Christ. We should pray that God would reveal his wisdom to them so that in their hearing of the cross of Christ, they believe. We shouldn't change the message to make it easier for them to hear and believe when they can't believe it unless it's revealed to them by God through his spirit. And so therefore, what do we do? We pray. We pray that in the preaching of the word, regularly and often, that God would open their hearts and believe it. But we don't change the message. We don't change the content. We are determined to preach Christ crucified alone. God has revealed to us these things through His Spirit. The Spirit only is able to reveal the wisdom of God. Hence why God's wisdom is inaccessible to human beings apart from the Spirit. Human reason apart from the Spirit does not get you to understand understanding about God. We have received the Spirit who is from God. Paul continues and says that we've received the Spirit from God. The Spirit that comprehends the things of God has been given to believers so that we may understand the things freely given to us by God. Here's the purpose. We need the Spirit to understand the things of God and understand His grace so that we would understand this grace that has been freely given, that we would understand it, believe it, trust it through the Holy Spirit, without which we would be no different than the rulers who crucified Christ or the world who rejects Christ crucified if we did not have the Holy Spirit. If you did not have the Holy Spirit, you would think of Jesus and him crucified no different than the world or those who killed him. We praise the Lord that the Holy Spirit has revealed this grace to you through the cross of Christ. If you are listening today, look at me, pay attention to me, because if you lack the Holy Spirit, you lack understanding about the cross of Christ. Now, there are many people I've talked to, and, I'm, and they, they kind of rarely go to church, they come sometimes, and I'm like, there's probably something missing. Like, you're missing the Holy Spirit in your life because it's not leading you to do what you what the Bible tells you to do. So you may want to ask yourself the question, do you actually believe and trust the cross of Christ? Because if you don't, and you lack the Spirit, you can come to church all you want. It won't change your life. You have to ask yourself, is God, do you believe in, the, in God's grace and the cross of Christ? Do you believe that God has made you right with him through Christ. And his Holy Spirit will bring that understanding to your heart. And you should pray that God would give you that spirit to reveal to you the truth and to believe. And and I would encourage you, don't leave and go home and talk to me or Denton or Robert or someone else who brought you about, hey, I think I lack this this spirit you're talking about. I I, I definitely, there's, there's something, I'm lacking something. Let us pray for you. Let us talk to you about how to receive the Holy Spirit, which is through belief and trust in the cross of Christ. And we impart this in words. Paul kind of continues here. He said, uh, we have been taught by the Holy Spirit. We've interpreted these spiritual truths. 
those who have the Holy Spirit are able to understand this and are able to teach it and proclaim it. This wisdom of God revealed by the Spirit, not uh, human wisdom. You know, in, in our ministry, we explain spiritual things. We explain spiritual truth. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. And we're able to understand spiritual things because we have the Holy Spirit. We're able to understand God's grace. Our identity as children of God who are right before Him because of Christ's work on the cross. This is the solid rock in which we stand. For all other ground is sinking sand. With words given by the Spirit, we, we, are, we teach what we do on this stage, what we do in Bible studies. We are not imparting our own wisdom. We are imparting the words of God through His Spirit to spiritual people. And that's why we focus so much on the cross. That's why we focus so much on the Bible. Because we speak, as those who are enjoyed with the Holy Spirit, spiritual truth to spiritual people. Not spiritual things to unspiritual people. Or unspiritual things to spiritual people. We're enjoyed with the Holy Spirit and we speak spiritual truth to spiritual people. That's the focal point of our ministry. To preach, teach, explain God's wisdom, the cross of Christ, by the Holy Spirit to spiritual people. We don't preach human wisdom. We don't preach uh, God's wisdom in our own strength, but, but according to the Spirit. Our audience is God's spiritual people, so we give them spiritual truth. We desire in the midst of this teaching activity that those in our midst who don't know God's wisdom through the Holy Spirit would come to know God's grace through the cross by the revealing activity of the Holy Spirit. And we shouldn't be ashamed of this ministry focus we shouldn't be ashamed that we preach Christ crucified to spiritual people. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. We should be stubbornly con continuing to do that at all times. Here's the last point, and I know I'm gone long-winded. Um, the ministry of redeemers to demonstrate openly that God alone is mighty to save and mature. He sends here in verse 14 that, you know, again, the cross of Christ determines the ministry of this church, regardless of who the elders are, regardless who the pastor or the preachers are, regardless of who the deacons are or the members are. Christ, the cross of Christ, determines the ministry of this church. Many will come and go, but the ministry of Redeemer must stay to serve and to proclaim this truth that needs to be known that God alone through the message of the cross of Christ is mighty to save and to mature. Not human wisdom, not fancy methods, not impressive facilities, not charismatic pastors, but the cross of Christ is what saves and matures. I determine to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, Paul says. They are spiritually discerned. These truths are spiritually discerned. They require the Spirit of God to understand the things of the Spirit of God. They can only be understood by the spiritual person. The natural person cannot, is unable to understand the Spirit of God. He does not accept them. They are folly to him. The message of the cross is folly to unspiritual people. It's foolishness. Therefore, you cannot be a church the lost, for they see the cross as folly. You cannot, listen, you cannot be a church for the lost because they're, unnatural, they're natural people who aren't spiritual and they think the cross of Christ and then focus on the cross of Christ is foolishness. They see it as insignificant, actually. Nothing we can do to make it easier for them to understand. We cannot make it more relevant or more entertaining. They lack spiritual discernment. It doesn't matter how cool you make it. it they lack spiritual discernment, and they need the Holy Spirit to believe it and to understand it. 
And we should pray that their lives are changed by the Holy Spirit so that they can understand the cross of Christ. We continue to preach, explain, teach, share the good news of the cross of Christ. Hope, pray that God would reveal his wisdom to the hearts of people in our words, knowing that only through the cross of Christ are people's hearts changed. Only through the cross of Christ, that truth, uh, that truth must dominate our words, our thoughts, our teachings, our praying, our preaching, and our singing. It has to be dominant that what we do is based off the cross of Christ. People have to walk in here and go, the power of God is the only thing that saves me. Amen. It has to dominate everything that happens here. Everything dominates. When people walk in here and they go, whatever's going on here, they're definitely right that, man, the cross of Christ is the only thing that gives me hope. If a person is of the Spirit, they will discern the spiritual truth present in the message of Christ, and they will grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. They will grow. Paul, get, kind of at the end here, he, he, um, he quotes Isaiah 40, 13. No one knows the mind of the Lord. Believers, he says, has the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit. When we proclaim the cross of Christ, when we make that the event that displayed God's love, that dom the dominating factor in the church, we proclaim that through Christ alone, you are made right with God. You lay... Uh, you lay your, your, your sins down and you stop trying to earn favor with God through accomplishments and the praise from others. Doing what is expected, studying and working hard, be an upright person that does not make you right with God, only the cross of Christ. None of that is powerful to save you or mature you. That is the best human wisdom and it is insignificant. The best human wisdom in the world is insignificant to save you or mature you and our ministry should not reflect those means. The cross of Christ alone has the power to save and mature. And we have to continue to stubbornly teach the cross of Christ alone to all who are, who all who are um, willing to hear. We have to continue to preach the cross of Christ to anyone who's willing to hear and nothing more. May God, through his spirit, open their hearts to understand and to believe it. Um, I'm going to end with, with this. I, um, when we started Redeemer, I, basically God is wiser than me. Um, the, the, the church that we, we were going to plant is totally different than what exists right now. Uh, the, the intentions or the thought was that there was going to be all these USI students that would come to this church. And they would get really excited and we would have this really weird church that had a bunch of college students in it. And it's not like we didn't reach them. It's not that we didn't have college students in this church. We definitely did. But it was not the predominant group. It currently is definitely not the predominant group here either. And what I envisioned is not what God envisioned. Instead, he created a beautiful family in Christ that I could never have dreamed could be possible. I mean, people are like, how can you plant a church on the west side? No one can plant a church on the west side. And someone convinced me the way that you plant a church on the west side is to do it with college students at USI. That's the only way it would work, they said. So, okay, that, I think I agree with that plan. So that's what we did, but that's not the church that God created, was it? That God is wiser than me. This church that worships here on Hogue Road and deeply cares for one another in Christ, God has formed in his magna, mag, magnificent wisdom from his glory and for ours as he uses you to minister to one another, encouraging one another through the gospel of the cross to form you into the image of Christ. 
There's a poem that I'm not going to read because I don't have time, but basically it's titled, When I Wasn't Looking. And really what happened was is that God did a work here while many of us weren't looking. I mean, God was doing stuff that we didn't even envision would ever happen. Things that we would think about in our dreams, God did something different and greater and more beautiful than we could possibly have imagined. And we weren't looking. He was so much at work that he, he accomplished something that no one said would ever be accomplished. No one said that any, basically everyone believed that no church could ever be planted on the west side. Is what we were told. But God did what he does. He accomplished a great work. And the, the core values of this church will never change regardless of who's pastoring it. I can believe that and hold that to be completely true. The vision may change as new leaders leave, but the cross of Christ is your anchor always. Your faith in those who God has chosen to be uh, reached and taught by Redeemer rest on the cross of Christ alone, God's power alone, not in the communication skills of its teacher, not in the administration skills of its leaders, and not the entertaining programs you organize but in the cross of Christ alone. The cross of Christ is your hope. The wisdom of God is your walk. And your focus must always be to proclaim the cross of Christ, to live by the cross of Christ, and to those whom God has chosen to reveal himself through you. Your faith rests in Christ alone. Trust not in the skills of your leaders or the amount of money in your bank account, but in the power of God. Through the Holy Spirit, to use Redeemer Fellowship for his glory. And he will do that if you are faithful to preach the cross of Christ alone. And so my last words for you is, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let me pray. Lord, I praise you that, as Paul says, that he determined to know nothing but Christ crucified. And I, Lord, even though, as he says, that we're not sufficient for these things, Lord, thank you that your gospel and the growth of your church is not rested on the skills and the, the excellent words of its leaders and pastors are the administrative skills that you accomplish your work through fallen, weak, fear, fearful, and trembling people. We thank you, Lord, that you accomplish your, your work and your plan for your glory. And we thank you, Lord, that you use us and that you encourage us along in the process. That you bring people into this, into this work, into this journey, and you uh, change us as well. And Lord, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you, Lord, that your, uh, your salvation, your power, Lord, it transforms us and gives us family and friends that we never had. And it creates organizations and ministries that at one point was just a, a hope. It was just an idea. But then you make it a reality, Lord. You, Lord, put people together. You make things happen. And we praise you for that. And we thank you that you call us to be a part of this. And I, I pray for Robert, I pray for Denton, and I pray for Aaron when he becomes an elder, and those of you will raise up to be elders here as they lead the church. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would stand on the cross of Christ alone. And that's what would be the determining factor in the ministry here and nothing else. And I pray for the members here now and the members that will come later. And Lord, I pray that they would help them and that they would serve them and that they would love them and that they would pray for them and that they would care for them and care for their families and love them as brothers. And Lord, I pray that you would grow your church for your glory. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.